Good morning, Sunrise. Welcome to worship. It's a beautiful, we're just talking in the, in the office, a beautiful, sunny fall day once again. Um, I know a lot of the leaves seem to be off the trees now, but it's still a beautiful drive-in, I'm sure, to see all that, God's creation. Well, we're going to raise hallelujah. We're going to sing loudly and sing in worship this morning. So why don't you guys stand with us as we prepare, as we sing, as we get our hearts and our minds in the right place. Let's sing together.
faithful promises time and time again you have proven you do just what you say though the storms may come and the winds may blow I'll remain steadfast and then my heart learn when you speak a word it will come to your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting, same I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness. Though the earth may pass away, your word remains the same. Your history can prove there's nothing you can't do. You're faithful and true. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to
sun to the setting same I will praise your name from the rising sun to the setting same I will praise your name from the rising sun to the setting same I will praise your name trust you. We lean into your faithfulness, God. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you 
never stop work. You never stop, you never stop work. Even when I don't see it, you work. Even when I don't feel it, you working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you working. Even when I don't feel it, you working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you working. Even when I don't feel it, you working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Cause you are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. That is who you are. That is who you are. That is who. you keep your promises all throughout scripture we see you we see you speaking truth to us and God we believe that you are faithful that you will stay to your promises and God that we we thank you God just as we sing those words too that we feel you in this place that your presence is moving among us and God we pray that you would be working on our hearts God, you'll be touching every heart in this place to draw us closer to you, to mend any brokenness that may be there, mending any hurt that may be there, any anger. God, that you would be the miracle worker in each one of our lives. And God, when we come against the enemy, we come against tough spots in our lives, God, may we not just stumble and fall, but may we raise a hallelujah in, in defiance of the enemy. When that battle comes, may we lift our hands in worship and in praise to you, God. Sunrise. So my name is Byron, and uh, I know, right? Makes you want to get out the sweater vest. It's coming. Yeah. 
All right, so uh, I do a couple of announcements once in a while and uh, just want to remind the ladies that Tuesday night is Wine and Theology. And that slide's wrong. It's not at Hudsonville Winery. Right, Pam? It's at Pam's house. So if you need directions, catch up with Pam. She's right over here. And uh, she'll help you find a, your way to Pam's house Tuesday night. All right, so next Sunday, great event. I really hope everybody can be here. It's um, Thankfulness Sunday. It has something to do with an American holiday that they don't celebrate anywhere else in the world. We're just unique in that way. So um, it'll be a regular service filled with thankfulness, prayer, reflection, and then we get to share a meal, and you need to help. We'll bring pancakes for you. Don't bring your own pancakes. We got them. Uh, but depending on the first letter of your last name, please help. So... If your last name starts with A through N, you bring a meat, a casserole. My wife's gonna try to bring oatmeal. <laughs> because it's healthy. <laughs> now she's embarrassed, but that's okay. <laughs> All right. So um, if your last name starts with O through the end, you bring a fruit, that's healthy, or a baked good. All right, so let's have a quiz. Jessica Ritchie. <laughs> what kind of dish does champion chili maker Evan need to bring for you? Chili. Breakfast chili? I will take care of it. All right, and, and Dennis Moles. Yes. What kind of dish does Amy need to make for you to bring? Um, whatever she wants, but probably a meat product or a casserole or something. Breakfast casserole. That was a good guess. Yeah, you, you follow instructions. That's good. Okay, so last thing, and then I'll get off, is um, kind of get going, is Advent family bag signups. So Advent is a great way for kids to learn about the meaning of Christmas, more than just presents. So we do this thing for, you know, a little kit for you to take home and share with your kids, and you can sign up for those, like that, um, you, either through the app or on the website, you can get to that form and uh, sign up so Julie can make sure we have a bag for you. Uh, if you're not able to pick them up either next Sunday or the Sunday after, uh, she can arrange to get it to you, so we hope you'll uh, share that with your kids. All right, so a church like this needs people to contribute and be a part, more than just serving, although we appreciate everybody who serves, but if you're not connected financially with Sunshine, with Sunrise Ministries, sorry, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to hear about that, I can, I can tell already. <laughs> so... Sunrise Ministries, please get connected financially. You could do it through the QR code, or you can do it through the website or the app on your phone, but please get connected and, and help support our ministry here in the community. Okay, now we get three minutes. Where's Garrett? Is Garrett here today? I guess, oh, there he is. I told Garrett I'd give him my three minutes today. So, and kids, 
skedaddle. All right, good morning. If you could uh, find your way back to your seats, please. This morning, as you can tell, I'm not here by myself. I am joined by my good friend, Noah Matthijs. Can we greet Noah this morning? All right. And so we're going to go a little bit old school today, old school in the sense that there's not going to be any slides. You're probably going to have to open a Bible. It's going to be great. Yeah, well, get used to disappointment, Benjamin. Get used to disappointment. Today we're going to be continuing on our series uh, entitled The Gospel Truth, and we're going to be talking about the first commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 5 um, in verse 7. Um, and today's title is... Uh, Love the one true God. Um, over the last, last week, we set up how the gospel precedes the law, and then over the next few weeks, what we want to do, um, and today and next week, in conversation with Noah, I thought it would be really fun to, to sit and sort of discuss this first commandment, because there's a lot of things culturally that are going on, Noah, that are instructive for us to understand, because oftentimes when we read the Ten Commandments, we read them sort of as flat on the page, and we read them according to our modern um, American sensibilities, but there's a lot more that's going on sort of behind the scenes that the, the, the culture of the Egyptians yep. and the Israelites will really open up for us. So Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 7 simply says this, you shall have no other gods before me. And the first thing I think that we want to talk about just for a few minutes is this idea that none of the Ten Commandments can be separated from the context of verse 6 that we read last week, right? That this is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, you out of Egypt. right? But, but there's more that, that goes into that. So, right, so I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God, Elohim, this is important, hold on to this, hold on to these Hebrew words here, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And, and, and all the commands, right, need to be read in light of that phrase, right? So therefore, right, I'm the Lord, the Yahweh, your Elohim, who brought you out of Egypt. Therefore, you shall not make for yourselves images to be worshipped. You shall keep the Sabbath day holy. You shall not misuse the Lord's name. You shall not murder. You shall have no other gods before me, this first commandment. So, commandment number one. Can't be separated. And what else? Yeah, commandment number one. I mean, that's how God introduces himself throughout the entire Old Testament. Correct. Every time the prophets say, hey, I'm speaking on behalf of God, the one who brought you out. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, so we need to view this through that lens. But also, uh, the first commandment can't be separated from the chronology of the narrative of the book of Exodus. These people experienced this major event in their lives and in the lives of uh, really all of the people then. Um, and we can't divorce the commandments from those events. Those things are intimately tied together. Okay. So we have uh, the chronology of the book of Exodus is really sort of divided for us into three sort of movements. Um, following this person, Moses. Um, and of course, it doesn't start even in Exodus. Right? The people arrive in Egypt in the end of the book of Genesis. Right. Right? Um, and so the people then were not a people, but a person, really, the person Israel and his sons. Um, but we're told in the beginning of Exodus over the years that these people um, multiplied. They grew in number. They were, they were blessed Very by fertile. God. Right? Very fertile. Very fertile. The Fertile Crescent. Right? Indeed. That's just where they are. And um, so there's, there's many, many thousands, hundreds of thousands of these people. Um, and this frightens Pharaoh. 
um, we can almost uh, sympathize with him a bit, uh, thinking about this king um, who's in charge of this land, and now there's a group of people that aren't like you, they're different from you, ethnically, um, and they are getting big. And Pharaoh gets worried, what if they decide to leave? What if they decide to ally with our enemies? Right. Um, we need to do something. Which is expressly laid out, right? I right. mean, that's, that, that, that's, we're told, his fear. Yes, the dialogue in his head yep. is very much, we need to quell their numbers. Yep. Um, so first, he tells these uh, Hebrew midwives that as the children are being born, if it's a boy, kill it. And if it's a girl, leave it. Um, but the, the midwives, two of whom are named, um, they lie. They, they, actually, they deceive Pharaoh, yep. um, and they let the boys be born. And when Pharaoh asks, what's the deal? Why aren't you listening to me? They say, you know, those, those hardy Hebrew women, they right. just give birth too quickly. We don't get there in time. Oh. Right. <laughs> and, and Pharaoh buys, he buys the lie. He buys into it. And then God, uh, we're told in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, that these uh, women were blessed as right. a result of their deception. Can, can, we, can we just stop here just for yeah. a second and, and just, what bravery? Right. Right. On behalf yep. of these these women, they, they they go in and they essentially stand up, give the give the double birds to the most powerful man in the world. Yep. And they say we're going to do what's right, right? Mm. Um, even in the midst of telling a lie, which the hierarchy of ethics here is beautiful to me. Yeah. Right. And he's like, well, what do we do? Mm. Right. Yeah. So they're blessed and they get blessed uh, for this this incredibly brave act. And afterwards, Pharaoh says, well, we just need to. We just need to deal with it. And so uh, we follow this event where all of the Hebrew boys under a certain age are thrown into the Nile River, um, of which, as far as we're aware, only one survived, um, this person, Moses. And real quick, I want to pause on, on um, I love names, just generally, but especially in the Bible. I love names. They matter. Yep. Um, they mean something. And, and in your text, you might see uh, in the beginning of Exodus, um, a little footnote by Moses. If you go to the bottom of the page, it probably says that Moses sounds like the word for drawn out. She names him this because he was drawn out of the water. Right. Um, he's, he's put into a basket by his birth mother to survive, to escape. Um, and then Pharaoh's daughter, um, well, Pharaoh's daughter's servant, pulls him out of the water and adopts him. And she says, I drew him out of the water. Um, which is uh, two, two reasons that that's significant. First of all, um, it's a wink at the readers. Um, it's a prophetic wink at what Moses is going to do. We know by the end of the book of Exodus, but not even the end, um, uh, a few chapters later, yeah. um, Moses would draw the people Correct. out of Egypt, right? So already we're, well, it's Moses, it's drawn out. Um, but on top of this, it has a second significant meaning um, in ancient Egyptian naming conventions, especially of royalty. That name, Moses, was attached to other names. Correct. Um, many of you probably have heard of Ramesses. If you've watched the movie The Prince of Egypt. The Prince of Egypt. Great film. Good Ramesses stuff. was a pharaoh in Egypt yep. around this time, and, and it's thought that, I think Ramesses II maybe, but yeah, yeah. anyway. There's a few of them. Uh, but Ramesses, uh, Ra, Moses, just means taken out of, or drawn out of, or tended from, Ra. Um, so, so there was an understanding in this time that Pharaoh was not just some rich dude. Correct but that he was actually descended from the gods and he himself was a god of Egypt. 
Um, and so this is not only a prophetic wink for the readers at what Moses is going to do, but it's also a, a jab at the Egyptian royalty um, and at the Egyptian pantheon um, that this guy, you, you think Ra Moses is cool. Well, let us tell you just about just Moses. A Moses, Moses. Yeah. Um, so th- this is kind of the first cycle or the first movement in Moses' life. He's born. He's a prince in Egypt. Um, he knows the ins and outs of their culture, of yep. their court system, of their um, religious institution. Um, and at the end of these 40 years, oh, I should pause. Speaking of the prince of Egypt, um, great part of the movie, he finds out he's a Hebrew. And there's a intense music, and he's singing about Egypt, and it's lo- lovely. Um, probably he knew he was a Hebrew his right. whole life. Um, his birth mother was the woman who nursed him. Um, so that was known to everyone at the time. Uh, but at the end of these, this first movement, these 40 years of his life, he kills an Egyptian who he sees beating a Hebrew slave. Right. Um, he takes matters into his own hands, um, might have kind of an anger issue. Certainly a question of identity in the text, right? Exactly. Is that he, he's essentially casting his lot with people of his birth. Just keep going, it's fine. Good, keep going. It's the Egyptian pantheon yeah, that's they're, really, they're, 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 they're working hard to try to, yeah, that's right. Um, so that's the, sort of the end of this first movement of his life. But next, um, he escapes, he flees, fears for his life, um, and goes into the wilderness to be a shepherd. Uh, so it goes from being one of, very likely, one of the most powerful people on the earth to being um, one of the lowliest. Um, and we sort of think he settles down, you know? He, he finds a wife, yep. he has a son, and we might think he'll drift off into obscurity, but instead he encounters God, um, God himself, in a way that no one has encountered him yet before. Okay, now this is important, right? Um, he, he meets God, you might be familiar with this burning bush, of this fire representing God's um, presence, um, this holy ground that he walks on, uh, and God introduces himself um, as Yahweh, um, uh, I am that I am, or I, I am the God who exists. Um, elsewhere we read, you know, uh, I revealed myself to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, um, Joseph, as El Shaddai, as the Almighty. But you will know me as Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my covenant name, a unique uh, relationship-forming name that I'm giving um, for you. And through this interaction with the burning bush, uh, with God, um, Moses is led back into Egypt. Um, he and his brother Aaron go back, and they speak to Pharaoh on God's behalf. Let my people go. And he says no, uh, and he keeps saying no, and uh, a bunch of stuff happens, which we're going to get into um, a bit later. But that sort of ends this, this second movement of his life. Um, we have a confrontation um, at the sea. There, the Israelites are camped in front of the water, um, and the uh, army of Pharaoh has arrived to take them back into Egypt. Um, and the final movement begins when God parts the, parts the sea, um, dry land appears, the people cross, um, and are saved from Egypt. Um, this is the Exodus, this great escape. So the entirety of um, Pharaoh's army is defeated. They get washed away in the water, um, sort of this... Um, same language of uncreation, yeah. almost, for the ancient, ancient world. Water represented chaos and, and disorder. Again, this is all going to be really pertinent for next week, especially our conversation. But there's this, this separation, the water from the dry land, the Israelites escape, and now Pharaoh is overtaken by the chaos and the decreation. Exactly. And, and this is language all familiar to the Israelites who are also receiving 
the creation account of Genesis. Um, we don't need to go too far into that right now, but this is, this is all fresh in their minds. Um, so after they escape, there's this desert journey for another period of 40 years. Um, they, uh, the people receive the law from Moses. They have a covenant with him at Sinai. Um, it doesn't go well. No. Um, <laughs> uh, falls apart pretty quickly. It does indeed. Um, and that's when this uh, wilderness journey begins. Um, there's rebellion, there's judgment, and then finally, of course, Moses passes on. Yeah. Passes on from this life and also his leadership onto Joshua. So. Okay, so big, big sort of painting with broad brush, the story. All right, now, so let's, let's set this up according to, you had mentioned a few things, um, Noah, about this idea of, of the culture and the religious context of, of Egypt. And I think this is really sort of where we're going to make our money this morning, talking about this first command to have no other gods before me. So command number one, it can't be separated from the story, but it also can't be separated from the historical or cultural or religious context from which these folks have just been delivered. Right, yeah. So um, <clears throat> I mentioned already Pharaoh himself was considered a god, but he was not the only god. The Egyptians were not monotheists. Right. Um, they had an entire pantheon of gods. Um, every, uh, this is true of most ancient Near Eastern cultures, but um, every aspect of their life, every sphere of influence that they had, they felt um, was governed by some higher power. Um, the water, there was a god for that. The earth, there was a god for that. The sky, there was a god for that. Um, the heavenly bodies, the sun and the moon and the stars, they had gods for those things. Um, and because they, they saw, again, this order um, in creation, yep. um, and they thought certainly something must be in control of this. And so, so they had a very strong feeling. Um, gods were all around them. Um, they, they never, uh, I wouldn't say that an ancient Egyptian would scoop up a handful of dirt and say, I'm holding part of the earth god. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's still, there's a, a, a layering of the spiritual, incorporeal world and the physical world. Those things were on top of each other. They interacted with each other in a real way. Um, and so when we look at the language of this first commandment, these uh, Israelites out of Egypt, when God says, you shall have no other gods before me, mm -hmm. um, he doesn't need to say that if they think he is the only God yeah. who exists. Right? Yeah. yeah, and this is something, right? And it, it kind of gets us a little bit off kilter, right? I, I know, right? It, it, it becomes very, makes us very uncomfortable. But the reality is, is the Israelites at this point, they probably weren't monotheists the way we think of, right? Someone who believes in this sort of one God. Moses has had this encounter with the I am that I am, right? The, the, the Yahweh, the, the yod heh vav -Hey, the Lord. Every time you read in your Bibles and you see this Lord, all capital letters, right? Um, L-O-R-D, that's the name. That's the yod Hey vav Hey. This is introduced when Moses is at the burning bush, and he is the one who's actually introducing this God, this new the God, God yep. right? Our God to the Israelites. The, the fact they, they have been, no, and this is something I, I think that you and I have talked about before, but the Israelites have been immersed in the Egyptian culture for longer than the United States has been a country. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right? 400 years is a right? long so, time. So they've, they've been there. They're a part of, of the, this, this ancient Near Eastern setting. And it's not to say that they don't have, right, they, that they don't have oral histories. And it's not to say that they haven't heard the story because they, they have. They've, they've kept, right, these traditions of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They know the patriarchs. They know the, the, the calling out of Ur, the Chaldeans. They know all of these kinds of things. Um, but they have this, this mindset, and I, I think about that in terms of, of us, things that we think about as Americans that th- we don't even question, right? So, um, and, and I'm thinking about maybe, I was thinking this week, how we feel about liberty, right? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, right? How we feel about um, the U.S. Constitution, right? There, there are many of right? I think that for so many of us, it's like, you know, it's like the Bible and the U.S. Constitution are the only two inspired texts on the planet, right? But this, this is kind of the way they, they, they would have thought, right? They would have had their own, um, you know, first and second amendments that they would have been very, right? Um, I'm not speaking against those things, you guys. I'm just trying to say, right, there's all of these things that they've embraced. And, and, and as I've said before, right, the 40 years in the desert are going to be much more about getting the Egypt out of the Israelites now that the Israelites have been gotten out of Egypt. And these are the things that, that are just part of their, their psyche or their mindset or the DNA of what makes them a people is that they're very much ancient Near Eastern, very much Egyptian as they're coming, coming out. Um, so, command number one. shall have no other gods before me. There's the story. There's the culture. But then there, there's some specific events too that I think just really bring this into focus. And, well, one of those is you talked about those strikes, you like to call them. Yeah, so... Often we refer to these major events that we read in the book of Exodus as the ten plagues, um, which is fine. Um, But a lot of times when we think of a plague, we think of an illness, we think of COVID, we think of the Black Plague. Um, And some of the plagues were plagues in that way. Um, But really, I prefer the language of strikes. These were, um, this was essentially Yahweh going toe-to-toe with the Egyptian pantheon. Right. um, Exchanging blows. but Yahweh always wins. And um, uh, I mentioned already, uh, they had this sort of pantheon, every part of their life had a God. Um, And every one of these strikes against Egypt that we read is a strike against an Egyptian deity. Um, I I wouldn't want to say that, it wouldn't necessarily be clear, it wouldn't necessarily be a a one-to-one, oh, God just struck Osiris, God just struck Newt, right? Um, It's not quite that clear. Their pantheon isn't that regulated at this time. Um, But they certainly had an understanding. There are powers that be in the world, and this new power is a bigger power. Um, This this Yahweh that we're encountering um, is sovereign over this pantheon. Yep. So the Nile to blood, the blocking out of the sky, the gnats, the flies, the frogs, all of these things, there's something, it's, it's this cosmic showdown yeah, exactly. that's going on. And, and this would have been clear, especially I think in, um, you mentioned the Nile and the, the sun, the first and the ninth um, strikes. The Nile River for these uh, Egyptians was the source of all life. This is what made the Egyptian empire so powerful. Um, this is uh, where their crops are watered. This is how they, this is how they live. Um, so for this Nile River, which is a god 
in itself to these people to be struck down, to become blood, to become undrinkable and infertile. Um, that's a big deal. Right. Um, and then many of us may be familiar with, um, I don't know, many of us is an exaggeration. I played Yu-Gi-Oh! And so I know who Ra is. Um, but <laughs> yeah. This is why you're like my children's yeah, age. Yeah, yeah. I have, yeah, I have no idea. So Ra is the Egyptian sun god, right? Yeah. That not only that Ra was in charge of the sun, but that the sun itself was a deity. Yeah. And so um, the ninth strike, when the sun goes dark for three days, um, and, and returns Egypt again to this state of darkness and chaos and confusion, and they don't know what's going on. This is clearly um, God demonstrating his power, and this is stated explicitly in the text. Um, uh, Exodus 12, verse 12, this final plague, uh, the tenth strike against Egypt, uh, is the death of the firstborn. Um, all of the firstborn in Egypt will die, including even Pharaoh's own yeah. son. Um, Pharaoh, again, is not just a king. He is a god king. His son, who would later become Pharaoh, is a god. And so for God to reach out his hand and strike down even Pharaoh's own household, um, how, how is Pharaoh going to defend his people right. if he can't defend his own son? The, the crown prince who carries this line of deity. Exactly. Um, so in Exodus 12, verse 12, we see that the final plague is explicitly a judgment hmm. on the gods of Egypt. Um, God says this to Moses, that this is why I am doing this. This plague specifically is a judgment on their gods. Um, yeah, we, we see all of these plagues, of course, are happening in three sort of cycles. Um, Moses uh, warning Pharaoh repeatedly. Um, there's going to be a plague coming, yep. um, and then a plague comes. There's going to be a strike coming, and a strike comes. Um, and every single time, um, we see this motif show up. Um, where Pharaoh hardens his heart, um, or eventually wrestle with this, Yahweh hardens right. Pharaoh's heart. Right. Um, but, but either way, whichever, uh, whoever's doing the hardening of the heart, um, Pharaoh grows more and more stubborn. And from the very beginning, before the first strike began, God told Moses, his heart will be hardened, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 9, Pharaoh will refuse to listen so that my wonders will be multiplied. Yeah. Um, from the very beginning, it is, it is God's purpose to do all 10 of these strikes, culminating in the 10th strike against the household of Pharaoh himself um, and against the firstborn in all of Egypt, mirroring um, what we talked about in the beginning, that, that striking of the Hebrew boys um, in the Nile. So God has now returned that blow um, to Pharaoh and his household. Um, and all of this is setting up the wilderness journey and the reception of the law. Um, all of this is, is in the minds fresh of the Israelites right. as they receive, right. have no other gods. And so this is the very people that, that, that God has delivered. This is the very people that God has crossed with the Red Sea. One, one of the other things, Noah, that just j jumps out to me here that uh, several years ago there was a... Um, uh, the Field Museum over in Chicago had a, um, a display of, of ancient Israel, or Egypt, and we, we, we went and saw that as a family, and one of the things that just kind of struck me was that it showed a, a traditional, like, sort of Egyptian house, what a house would have looked like, and I'm reminded of on this last plague, this last strike, where, where the antidote for this, right, the antidote against the death angel, right, the vindication of what 
Pharaoh had wrought against the children, right, these, these innocent babies before, the antidote for that was to take and to sacrifice, right, to sacrifice this, um, to sacrifice a, a, an animal and to put the blood on the doorpost. And one of the things that was really interesting as we went and we saw, it showed us this typical Egyptian house from sort of this middle to late uh, kingdom period, which would have been roughly, right, similar en enough to this time period. And one of the things that was common were for glyphs of certain gods to be put on the outside of the door posts, the gods that the people inside of these homes worshipped for things like protection, for things like you talked about f fertility in, 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 in personal uh, propagation, the having of children, but, but, but food and rain and all those kinds of things, right? And, and, and in this very sense, everything about this event that's taking place is Yahweh telling the children of Israel. And, and, and again, it's right, we, we don't want to read too much back into this, but for us on the other side of the cross looking at this, the fact that Yahweh instructs the people to put the gods of Egypt under the blood of the Lamb is something thing that re well, I mean, doggone it, that'll preach, right? And so there's this, the, everything about this is, is pointing towards um, something that we see later in Jesus that's going, frankly, to be truer and greater. Right, yeah, the, the, that lamb, right, representing Jesus, um, uh, when we, th this is referred to as Passover, right? This is the Passover uh, festival and feast that they remember. Um, and we hear that word Passover and we think about God sort of skipping over. I'm going to see the blood on the door and I'm going to ignore that door. Yeah. I'm going to ignore that house. But the word there actually for Passover um, sounds a lot more like God is standing in front of mm. the door. That when the angel passes, he receives what the angel was going to deal. Um, in his person and in the lamb and later, of course, as we see in Jesus. Yeah. 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 So one, one other thing and I, to me that just kind of stands out here, and, and we have to go to Exodus 32 in order to, to see this. And w one of the things that we don't often pick up is that the, the story that we've, we've read, right, that the Ten Commandments as they appear in Deuteronomy 5 and then in Exodus 20 is actually read back into the story, right? So Noah's talking about this, this story, Moses coming down from the mountain and presenting these Ten Commandments. This is essentially an event after the fact that's read back into to, to the middle, right? It, it's placed in here. Um, and so there's many things that happen before this. And one of the things that happen before the people get the Ten Commandments, before they get this, you shall have no other gods before me, was, believe it or not, the golden calf. The people having other gods. So Moses has been gone for, you talk about, you, or so you, you made the illusion, things don't end well at Sinai, right? They go to Mount Horeb, they go to Sinai, right? Moses goes up, there's the, the mountain is, is surrounded by, you know, thunder and lightning, very, very frightening me, Galileo. Um, <laughs> here all week, try the veal, love Freddie Mercury. Um, so they essentially send Moses up to speak for God because they don't want to. Right. right? And so then Moses has gone for like 40 days or something like that. It's like a, it's like a long, long time. And, and, and this, is what, this is what happens, okay? So this is all before this, this command. It says in verse 30, uh, chapter 32, verses 1 through 4, um, when the people saw that Moses was gone so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. 
right? And they said, come, make us gods, Elohim, right? Who will go before us? As for this fellow Moses, as for the one who draws out, who brought us up out of Egypt, there it is. We don't know what's happened to him. And Aaron answered them, take off your gold earrings from your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. Quick aside, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But when I was a kid growing up in a very conservative home, I was taught in Sunday school that this is why young men shouldn't wear earrings. Because it leads to idolatry. It's crystal clear. Right? Which even 13-year-old Dennis had enough brain cells to say, but it says your wives and daughters too. I don't. Nope. It was the sons. That was for free. All right. Verse number three. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took them and, and, ha- uh, and handed him, and he took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a cow. Literally, here the Hebrew is a male bovine, right? So like this adolescent bull kind of a thing, which is really interesting. And they fashioned it with a tool, and then they said, these are your Elohim, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now, again, we don't want to put too fine of a point on this, but, but, but the reality is, is that the sacred bull played a great, yeah. right, w- w- was a big deal in the pantheon of, of, of Egypt. And once again, what we're seeing here is that, is that the people have shown that they are more Egyptian in their hearts than they are the people of God. Um, and and, 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 and the, the sacred bull was seen as an intermediary. Mm. The imagery couldn't be, dude, any clearer here. An intermediary between humans and the greater gods. But my friends, there is no other intermediary, right? There is, there is one, as we will see through the progress of Revelation, that, that, that we see in ancient Egyptian literature, we, we see that gods can be seen riding or being carried on the backs of bovines. Um, about 500 years before this event, there was actually a sacred text in Egypt that was, that was written and literally was called the Book of the Heavenly Cow. That's a translation, obviously, right? Which tells the story of what happens when humans rebel against Ra. Aaron is doing something here that I think is told... and. and, and Aaron's trying to strike a middle way where there is no middle way, sure. I guess is what I'm saying. And, and with this, we'll invite the worship team to come and, and bring our last song. Verses 5 and 6, I think, is often overlooked when we, we think about this, this encounter. And, and in chapter 32, verse 5, it says, when Aaron saw this, right, when he saw what the people had said, when he saw the fact that, okay, I've, I've, I've made this bovine, And it satiated the people's desire. He built an altar in front of the calf and announced, listen, tomorrow there will be a festival to not the Elohim, not the bovine, not the calf, to the Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey, to the Lord. 
What Moses was doing is he was trying to put two things together that are mutually exclusive. He was trying to say, we can have the pantheon and we can have the one who got us out of. And just as long as the pantheon bows down, we can worship these gods as long as... And so the next day the people rose early and they sacrificed burnt offerings to present fellowship offerings. And afterward they sat down to eat. And they got up to indulge in revelry. My friends, here's the thing. These are the questions that come up. We, we see this story and there's so much. And I know there's going to probably be some of you that, that they're thinking, man, you guys just talked a lot about history this morning. But, but this is why I think this is important. Is that this little phrase, this little line, you shall have no other gods before me was delivered to a people that although they were unlike us, they were not completely unlike us. Is that they had things in their lives that enslaved them. And here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to ask yourselves is what are the things that are in our lives right now that enslave us? What are we enslaved to? What are the things we would never set up an idol to be worshipped? We would never, right? We would never build a temple in the backyard to go in, right? We don't, we don't sacrifice two goats and a chicken, right? To, 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 to satiate something but but what are we enslaved to and maybe it's a 401k or maybe it's a bank account or maybe it's an unhealthy relationship or or maybe it's a a job or maybe what is the thing that captures us that we bow our knees to and we don't even know it what what makes up Noah the the modern American pantheon right and what do we what do we mix with God and say these things are the same. Mm. Right? I, I was thinking about this this week, and I was, I, was, I was doing some reflecting, and I had some time just to reflect, and I, and I just I, I asked myself, what, what are the things? What, is, what are the things that I mix with the gospel of Jesus? And the reality is, is that if I mix anything with the gospel of Jesus, if I mix, if Jesus plus Nothing. It's the good news of salvation. And when I add anything to that, I create for myself and for others a false gospel. Right? A golden calf that, that Jesus rides on somehow to, to worship. But, but, but here's, here's the other thing is that God, God is not happy Right? And there's some significant ramifications for this. Right? But even in this space, right? The great interaction between God and between Moses. Moses then, the one who draws them out, stands in this middle space. Moses is for the people. They don't even know it. Moses is for the people what they think the golden calf is, is going to be. Not, not, not a deity to be worshipped, but one who stands in the middle who, right, is the truer and better Jesus. Or is the, right, the, who, who Jesus is now the truer and better Moses. But, but he stands in the middle and he contends for the people. And he contends that God, not in, that in his anger, he doesn't just dismiss these folks, but he continues to love them. And, and, and God doesn't give up on those folks. So even while there are things that may enslave us, right, we, we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have this ability to see those things, to the power of the risen Christ, to be delivered from those things. And I guess the encouragement today, my friends, is 
whatever's sitting on the throne of your life, whatever maybe gods that we've constructed that take the place of Jesus, whatever we've added to the gospel, let's take seriously that Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 7 is just as much for us as it is for the Israelites of the day, that that God is still in the business of overthrowing the pantheon. He's still in the business of freeing us from slavery. He's still in the business of showing up with freedom and vindication for his people. So God, we thank you now for your word. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for your love. And we would pray that you would just continue to be with us this morning as we we gather, Father, and we, we pray that you would help us to to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, Lord, that um, that we would see you as you truly are and that we would worship you with awe and with reverence. Lord, for there is no God in Egypt and there is no God in America that you will not ultimately go toe-to-toe with and declare your lordship overall. We pray that you would help us to see you and to seek you in the mighty and the strong in the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance the exodus of my heart you found me you freed me held back the waters for my release oh Yahweh you're the God who fights for me Lord of every victory, hallelujah, hallelujah. You have torn apart the sea, you have led me through the deep, hallelujah, It's a sign that you are with me. Fire by night is the guiding light to my feet. As you found me, you freed me, held back the waters for my release. Oh, Yahweh, you're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory.
Cause you stepped into my Egypt You took me by the hand And you marched me out of freedom Into the promised land Now I will not forget you, God I'll sing of all you've done Death is swallowed up forever By the fury of your love As you stepped into my Egypt You took me by the hand You marched me out of freedom Into the promised land Now I will not forget you, no I'll sing of all you've done Death is swallowed up forever By the fury of your love You're the God who fights for me Lord of every victory Hallelujah Hallelujah You have torn apart the sea You have led me through the deep Hallelujah Hallelujah You're the God who fights for me Lord of every victory Hallelujah Hallelujah. You have torn apart the sea. You have led me through the deep. Hallelujah. So if you're like me, you're probably wondering, well, Dennis, how, how could God hold them accountable for something that they, that they didn't know, right? If Moses hadn't written this down yet and all the whole things about the breaking the tablets and God getting angry and all that, how, how did they know? Well, well, it's interesting, in this very passage in Deuteronomy, it, it says that while the people might not have had the, the written law, that there was this encounter that Noah talked about that, that ended kind of poorly. But, but there's indication in Deuteronomy chapter 5 that that when the Lord showed up on the mountain that day, when, when they had this encounter with, with the storm and the lightning, that the voice from heaven spoke, that the God who had gotten them out of Egypt spoke to them, and Moses reiterates these things, but that God initially tells them these things. And I, I imagine this, is that they, 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 they hear and they had heard in this encounter with, with God, and he had come to them and he had declared to them, I am the God who's got, who gotten you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. They had heard and they had experienced, but they were still enticed back to their, their old ways and needed to be reminded. My friends, that, that actually gives me comfort to know that when I'm enticed that there is forgiveness, that when I forget there's a reminder. And at the end of chapter 5, Moses told the people, you must be careful to obey all the commands, the Lord your God, following his instruction in every detail. Listen to this in verse 33. Stay on the path that the Lord your God has commanded you to follow. And then you'll inherit the promise. You'll live long and prosperous lives in the land that you're about to enter and to occupy. My friends, we, 
We have the law that's been written for us. But my hope and my prayer is that each and every one of us would experience an encounter with the Lord where we would be reminded and we would be shown that He is indeed the God who has gotten us out of our Egypt and that we'd stay on the path in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of confusion, that we would trust Him and Him alone for He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the only one deserving of our worship. So Father, I pray for these dear friends that you would lead them and guide them today. Watch over them and give them strength to stay on the path for you alone, our God and King. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, friends. Go in SP.